Good morning, everyone. It's Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning today, Monday, June 14th, 2021. Feel free to follow me intro week on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or on LinkedIn, just Herb Morgan. This presentation is coming to you with slides, charts, and graphs available for those who subscribe to the weekly email. It's also available for download on our website. But for those of you that don't require the slides, you can listen as a podcast. The podcast is called Slaying Bulls and Bears. We look to make the complex and complicated simple and sensical. It's available in all the podcast formats. Presentation is prepared by us for use with both investors and financial advisors, each of whom are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice, nor should it be treated as such. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. Markets continue to go higher, uh, very near fresh all-time highs this morning as we speak, for example, on the NASDAQ. Last week, stair-stepped higher, starting with the S&P 500 up about 43 basis points, 0.4%. Mid-cap stocks, 0.9, small, 0.9. International markets participated, emerging lag. All in all, very good week. The only major equity index here listed that's not up over 10% without even being halfway through the year is emerging markets. Still, if the year ended today, it'd be pretty healthy at almost 8%. Fixed income is what's really continuing to surprise everybody. If we've got all these inflationary pressures, why are bonds selling off? You can see the aggregate bond index is only down 1.7% for the year, and long-dated treasuries are now down only nine. They had been down closer to 20 just a couple of months ago. So with all these inflationary pressures, we've actually seen the yields on 10 and 20, and in this case, the 20 plus index, these yields have climbed lower. So last week, the long dated end of the US Treasury curve was the best performer on this chart, up almost one and three quarters percent. What this says is in my mind, that Wall Street, the long side, the hedge fund players, the long asset managers are buying into the Fed's narrative that the inflation surge is temporary. And this is not commentary. This is not news that's hyperbolic now, hyperbolic, hyperactive now. It is, uh, this is real money going after real assets and making a statement here. So this tells me, this gives a little more credibility to the Fed's statement. But of course, nothing is over until it's over. Let's get into the economic data reported last week. We start with the consumer. They continue to be very strong. They added about $18.6 billion uh, on the debt side of their balance sheets. That's about the same as they did in March. Revolving credit fell a little bit, so the big gain was in the non-revolving, which are those big ticket purchase items with payment plans and interest rates that signal confidence in the consumer's ability to pay, which is, which is signaling confidence in their ability to remain employed. Take a look at small business optimism from the National Federation of Independent Businesses. It fell just a little bit to 99.6, was below expectations. This downward trend is, eh, I don't know, it's, it's going back three years, so it's hard to say, but really we have an upward trend since the, since the pessimism related to COVID. 
What I don't like about the report is the following. First of all, uh, business saying we can't grow. And the reason we're not optimistic is we can't get qualified workers. This is reminiscent of 2017, 18, and 19. Then you've got 40% of businesses saying they've raised their selling prices. That's the highest reading since back in the good old inflation days of the 1980s. And 43% said they, continue to, they will continue to raise prices and will raise prices in the next 90 days. So that's not good from an inflation perspective. The trade deficit, which had just been exploding during COVID as people stayed at home and ordered lots of you know, cheap import goods, things you need for the home. Most of those are made, many of those are made overseas. A trade deficit actually reversed a little bit. Why is it relevant? The trade deficit subtracts from GDP. So these are subtractions from GDP. Trade surplus would add to GDP. So the subtraction from GDP got a little bit better last month with exports rising to 205 billion, imports falling to about 274 billion. Uh, we did see you know, waning demand for the COVID stay-at-home goods and waxing foreign demands for the reopening from overseas buyers of our products and services. But really everything right now is about inflation and jobs, which means everything is about the Fed and what the Fed is going to do next. Remember that the Fed has these really these three jobs, one of which we don't even talk about much anymore, First and most important is they have to be the lender of last resort so that banks, we don't get these big run on banks. Banks can go to the Fed, put up their loans as collateral, get liquidity. It prevents a lot of bank failures. They're the banker to the banks. We don't talk about it much because it works so smoothly. But later in the late 1970s, Congress gave the Fed two more jobs. One, maintain price stability. Two, foster full employment. What happens if those two are in conflict? Which one takes priority? Well, it was kind of always assumed, but never memorialized or never put into, codified into law. It was always assumed that the inflation mandate, otherwise known as price stability, was the most important. But this time around, the Fed is saying, really, we think that this inflation is going to come, we're okay with it, it's going to go away, and we're really focused on getting people back to work. The orange or gold colored or brown, whatever this is, line here on the graph shows that job openings are now up to 9.3 million. That's more than a million higher than the estimate of economists leading into last week's report. It's the highest reading in 20 years. And in addition to that, what we're seeing is a surge in voluntary separations. Employees just saying, eh, I don't wanna work here anymore. I'm going over there. Maybe I'm getting more money. Maybe they've got bean bags and ping pong tables. Uh, who knows? But separations, voluntary separations are surging. Meanwhile, the number of unemployed workers is coming down, but not nearly at the pace where it was. We still have 9 million plus unemployed workers versus well under 5 million uh, prior to the pandemic. So the Fed is saying they are not going to raise interest rates. They're not going to be concerned about inflation until that number comes down. That's what they're looking at. The problem they face is this. This is the consumer price index. The May consumer price index rose six tenths of a percent on the month on top of eight tenths of a percent in April and is now 5% higher than it was a year ago. 
Well, a year ago, the economy was closed, so the base effect is exaggerating the move, but still, it's a 5% year-over-year move. The core CPI, backing up food and energy, is up 3.8%. Okay, what the Fed is saying, and if you read through the report, not, not just, the, just the headline, is that 52% of this move was driven by very transitory factors, bottlenecks related to the reopening, used cars, rental cars, auto insurance, hotels, airfares, and food away from home. The prior month, it was 64%. So in their mind, the bottleneck is easing, the inflationary pressures are easing, and, and um, that's why they continue to move, remain confident, and that's why I believe Wall Street, the long side, bid up bonds last week, got that 10-year treasury back under one and a half, is that they're buying into the Fed's narrative, and they weren't buying in entirely six to eight weeks ago. Still, I had to dust off my old Ford administration button, remember these red buttons, win, win, whip, <laughs> whip inflation now, was the commentary of 1974 or 73 with the Ford administration. I don't think we're quite ready to say that this inflation is permanent, um, but I, I will tell you, there are a lot of signals that suggest this might be a little harder than the Fed is letting on uh, to get this under control. Still, I'm not ready to, to call their efforts a failure at this point. Moving on, wholesale inventories rose another eight-tenths of a percent in April on top of a huge gain in March. Sales also gained uh, eight-tenths of a percent, and the inventory to sales ratio is unchanged at about 1.22 very, very healthy demand for business goods services on the wholesale side. We got another slight drop in weekly initial claims for unemployment down to 376,000. Remember, we were down in the low twos prior to the pandemic, so we're not back. Continuing claims fell to about 3.5, 3.5. So you still got 9 million unemployed, but 3.5 on the continuing, uh, uh, continuing <laughs> benefits. It's about time we got the rest of the folks back. That's what the Fed is trying to uh, encourage or incentivize here. Uh, we heard from the University of Michigan that consumer sentiment rose, and it rose more than expected to uh, 86.4. You can see that still below the 2019 highs. Uh, expectations continue to go higher as well. Really, this week, the biggest thing we're focused on is going to be, and I'm gonna throw in the whip inflation now button one more time. Uh, we're gonna be focused on what comes out of the Fed meeting. Not that the Fed is going to take any action. I don't think there's any chance that the Fed raises rates. I don't think there's any chance that they announce a reduction in asset purchases. Rather, we wanna see what the Fed's language is around coming uh, uh, eventual change, when that might come. Chairman Powell was quoted, I think it was last week, he said, monetary policy will continue to deliver powerful support until the recovery is complete. Translate, we're not going to raise rates, we're gonna to continue to buy assets until the employment number is back where it needs to be. He didn't say, as long as inflation remains under control. He didn't say that at all. In other words, I believe he was clearly, clearly telegraphing uh, the intent of the committee. However, we do expect the commentary this week and the statement this week might say something about the timing of an eventual exit. 
it might also just continue to say that that eventual exit is very, very far off. That's what the market doesn't know right now. So we could get some volatility on Wednesday around this if there are any surprises. When will they reduce asset purchase purchases, then eventually eliminate them and begin to start raising uh, interest rates? Right now, the money is on sometime in 2023. This week, lots of economic data, um, housing market sentiment, and retail sales on Tuesday may be, may be important, big. Wednesday, it's really all about the Fed. Uh, import and export prices, eh, maybe a little. Weekly jobless claims, let's hope to see those continue to go down. Philly Fed, I don't expect really anything on here to have a major impact this week other than this right here. It's the FOMC statement. So uh, barring any bad news out there, I think, the, uh, I think the market can continue to melt up and grind higher. That's been our position for a while that we would see a melt up in June and perhaps July. And we might see uh, eventually at the Fed uh, uh, congressional testimony and or the Jackson Hole meeting, some sort of uh, further indication about what might be to come from, from in terms of monetary policy. But make no mistake about it, uh, your home, your balance sheet, your portfolio, all of those things right now are really being driven in a, in a big way by, uh, by central bank. Uh, they're, they're the biggest, you know, factor right now. So paying attention to that, of course, is probably pretty, pretty important. Well, thank you all for tuning in. I will uh, look forward to seeing you again next week.